One of the things I do is I contrast our way of being with some other ways of being that have not been so crazy. In letters from an American farmer, Michel Guillaume Jean de Crevecourt noted, there must be in the Indian social bond something singularly captivating and far superior to be boasted of among us. For thousands of Europeans are Indians, and we have no examples of even one of those aborigines having from choice become Europeans. Benjamin Franklin was even more to the point. No European who has tasted savage life and afterwards bared to live in our society. It was commonly noted that at prisoner exchanges, Indians would run joyously back to their families while the white captives had to be bound hand and foot and not run back to their captors, which was really embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I write about that I don't see a lot of people writing about is that unless it's stopped, the dominant culture is going to kill everything it can, but there's a death urge. And I think there are a bunch of reasons for that. One reason it was, it was quite simple. One of the reasons the pilgrims had to try to slaughter the peacocks was because so many of the pilgrims were shucking their clothes and running off hands and naked in the woods with the Indians. And you can't have that. Um, so how are you going to stop them from doing that? Eliminate the alternative. That's one reason why we've had to kill every... I mean, how are you going to get somebody to work for IBM? Eliminate the alternative. Try living as a hunter-gatherer right now. It's more difficult than it would have been at one point. There are reasons for that. Another reason I think that our culture has to kill everything, and I thought about this having to do with my father, that one of the reasons that my father had to attempt to destroy us is because when we were free and happy children, we reminded him of who he was before his parents destroyed him. And that was too painful for him to contemplate. And so he had to destroy what reminded him of that. And that dovetailed with something else, which is that if you're tremendously fearful, you need to control those things around you because they're very, very scary. We as an entire culture have forgotten how to enter into mutual relationships with humans, humans and non-humans, where that aren't scary, where we instead we try to control our surroundings instead of simply surrendering to our surroundings and having fun. Oh, it's like I was at this place in New Mexico, this is so cool. I was at this, this canyon down in New Mexico that this guy's rehabilitated. Done some amazing work, Jesse Will Hardy. I was there with this friend of mine. I was going to interview Jesse. But as we drove up, the guy who was driving us there said, no, I think you should get out for a while, because I think the stream wants for you to get in for a while. And we got out, and then we walked down, and my friend sat on the bank, and, and I got on the stream for a while. Afterwards, I, I, I walked back, and I took the Jesse. You know, the only thing that was missing here is I wish I would have been here with the lava, because, because the land was really demanding that some love be made. Jesse started laughing and said, you really have to ask what's wrong with any place that doesn't demand that. Okay, back to the death culture thing. The fourth reason I think we've had to destroy everything, if I'm counting right, is that we have a linear culture, beginning, middle, end. It doesn't take a rocket scientist, it takes anybody but a rocket scientist to uh, figure out that, that on a finite planet, if you base your system on non-renewable resources, it's going to crash. But there's something else, too, which is about a year and a half ago, I talked to Luis Rodriguez, who wrote Ganges in LA, La Vida Loca. Great book. He's an ex-gang member who got out through the literature revolution. I asked him, why is it that all these kids are standing on street corners shooting mirror images of themselves? There's a couple reasons. One, of course, is that the cops set them against each other. But there's another reason, too, which is that they want to die. Of course they want to die, because they're teenagers. Teenagers are supposed to want to die. But what the problem is, is nobody's telling them that this death is supposed to be spiritual and metaphorical, not physical. And so the truth is, if they want to die, because they want to die to their childhood and become adults, but once again, nobody's telling them that they're supposed to be rites of passage, so instead they're enacting it physically. My father was a saint. 
something in him wanted to die, there was this death thing that needs to happen, they can't figure out, nobody's telling him what needs to die is your own abusiveness, your own fear. And so what he did is he enacted that. And it's the same with our culture. We can't acknowledge that we want this way of living to end. And we can't admit that we want to have a spiritual metaphorical transformation. So I think 13 and a half quadrillion lethal doses of plutonium. There's a line that I just love. This is also by Michel Guillaume Jean de Coeur. He said, as long as we keep ourselves busy telling the earth, there is no fear of any of us becoming wild. I love that. So long as we keep ourselves busy going to class, I mean, sorry. So long as we keep ourselves busy telling the earth, there is no fear of any of us becoming wild. I would say any of us becoming who we are. So what I would like to do now, since I've done some kind of harsh sections, I'll do a couple of nice sections, and then and then we'll see what happens from there. I'll do a really nice section. What's the point? Is it to accumulate wealth? If you were to ask 10,000 people if their main goal is to accumulate wealth and material possessions, the overwhelming majority would say no. But if the answer to this question were to be based not on their words, but on how they spend most of their waking hours, the answer would be a resounding yes. What if the point of life has nothing to do with the creation of an ever-expanding region of control? What if the point is not to keep at bay all those people, beings, objects, and emotions that we so needlessly fear? What if the point instead is to let go of that control? What if the point of life, the primary reason for existence, is to lie naked with your lover in a shady grove of trees? What if the point is to taste each other's sweat and feel the delicate pressure of finger on chest, thigh on thigh? lip on the cheek. What if the point is to stop then in your slow movements together and listen to birdsong? Watch dragonflies hover, look at your lover's face, then up at the undersides of leaves moving together in the breeze? What if the point is to invite these others into your movement, to bring trees, wind, grass, dragonflies into your family, and in so doing abandon the attempt to control them? What if the point all along has been to get along, to relate, and experience things on their own terms? What if the point is to feel joy when joyous, love when loving, anger when angry, thoughtful when full of thought? What if the point from the beginning has been to simply be? When I went to graduate school at first time, see that's the thing, is I hated school so much, I immediately went back to graduate school, and I went back to graduate school again. Um, I spent many evenings talking to an instructor in the English department. He mentored me for a year of independent study and creative writing, and we became friends. It was not uncommon for us to talk in his office till dawn. He was a Christian, and one night spoke of his faith, or his belief. Your faith must be strong enough to even walk the path blindfolded. Without thinking, I responded, no, wherever you put your foot, there is the path. You become the path. We looked at each other, stunned. At the time, I had no clue as to the meaning of what I just said, but I knew it was true. Many years later, I taught at Eastern Washington University. The class was organized in a nonlinear fashion similar to this book. In class, we talked about anything. Love, sex, death, abuse, money, fear, drugs, games, aspirations, God, both large and small G. We played hide-and-go-seek in an empty building. We played duck-duck-boots. We played capture the flag, which was just a gas besides which my team kicked some real royal butt. <laughs> <laughs> we learned how to dance, anything to help him view our writing and our lives with feeling. One quarter I had a student, a good writer and thinker, off the path, especially when we gradually deviated from the subject of writing. What's the point? I usually didn't have an answer. And so I'd merely smile and shrug. Sometimes I said, to have fun, something about I don't know. <laughs> On the last day of class, I stood at the top board while I called out memories of the class time we spent together. I wrote them down as fast as I could, covering board after board. Finally, we began to slow, and I heard the same student ask, what's the point? I turned around, and the class laughed. I laughed, too, but before I could shrug, a woman slammed her hand down on her desk and cried, I get it. 
The point is, he can't tell us the point. The point is we have to get it ourselves. I walked to the empty seat next to her, sat down, placed the chalk on her desk, and said, there's nothing else I can teach you. Thank you. Have fun. 